3: You don't want to be in the hotel business in Chicago right now. Uh, the summer is pretty much a waste, and now it's uh, the spring is already gone, and now it's stretching into the fall. Of uh, these announcements that uh, Lala, which filled tens of thousands of hotel rooms, is not going to be held, came on the heels of the cancellation of the biggest uh, convention of the year yesterday at McCormick Place, which is tens of thousands of more hotel rooms.
0: That's Greg Hines, columnist for Crane's Chicago Business, talking about the city losing its marquee summer events because of the pandemic. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Kodum. This week, we continue our ongoing discussion on COVID-19 and new trends that have emerged from the pandemic, including in restaurants and travel. We'll also talk about summer job prospects for teens. And is 2020 the summer of the RV? We'll talk about recreational vehicles with the president of the RVMH Hall of Fame and Museum. First, as more states and more places lighten up COVID stay-at-home orders, health officials are calling the recent spikes in cases worrying. The latest now from Michelle Cortez, health reporter with Bloomberg News based in Minneapolis. Michelle, it seems to just make sense. As more places reopen, the number of cases is climbing.
4: Exactly. We knew that it was going to come. Now we are seeing this increase in cases. And everyone from the public health officials, the individual residents are going to have to decide what they're going to do in order to protect themselves and their communities.
0: And this the, your options here were basically keep everything shut down for a year or more or uh, slowly reopen reopen at some sort of a pace. The, the idea here was just to get it shut down for a while to allow the hospitals to catch up. Is that the correct understanding?
4: Yeah, they they were definitely concerned about overwhelming the hospitals, especially early in the outbreak. You have to remember back then, we didn't know exactly what we were facing, didn't have any idea what the best way was to treat patients, even with the tools that we do have, like ventilators and oxygen, and we didn't have great testing. So the idea now is that as we start opening up, we'll have a little bit better idea. We do know that things like social distancing and masks work really well. So for individuals, we should all be doing that. But also now we have tests. So if someone around you is positive, then you can start, you know, circle testing everyone around them. And so hopefully we'll be able to stay on top of it, even as we see more cases.
0: Yeah, I have this conflicting story from the World Health Organization that maybe it's really difficult to spread coronavirus if you're asymptomatic. Now they say there's a lot that's not known. They can't say that emphatically. Uh, I guess that just points to the fact that there is so much not known about this. It's really difficult to know the best path forward.
4: It is. It's absolutely so hard to know. And not only that, think about what we're talking about here. It's asymptomatic people. So it's people who don't have any signs at all of the infection. So how do you find that they're infected to begin with, right? What the WHO official was saying is for that asymptomatic person, how many people then do they infect? I think a lot of people perceived that as the idea that being asymptomatically positive is not a problem. And of course, there is a risk that if you don't have any symptoms, you could be going out out there and, you know, I don't know, kissing people, your spouse, your kids, your family members, you know, and passing it along, not knowing, not knowing that you're doing that. What they've seen in the research that they've done is that for asymptomatic people, they probably have less virus, they're not as sick, and they don't make that many other people sick. It's not really surprising, but that doesn't diminish the fact that there are asymptomatic people out there who could be dangerous to all of us. What about so, I was
0: just going to ask about, as far as uh, asymptomatic, you have a lot of protesters out there still gathered, many of them without symptoms. Is, Is there a concern that the virus is spreading in these protests?
4: Yeah, absolutely. There's concern about it, that it could be seeding the outbreak, even for people who are a little bit out of breath. You know, if you haven't been walking for a long time, you know, you're marching, you're chanting, all of that kind of stuff. It makes sense that maybe you have a little cough or you're a little bit out of breath and you might not realize that that's symptoms. The thing, again, though, to keep coming back to is we're seeing over and over again, a report just came out 15 minutes ago that showed even on the aircraft carrier Roosevelt, the one that caused so much drama when the captain wanted to protect his crew members, even on that ship where they sleep literally stacked on top of each other, that people who were wearing masks were less likely to get infected. So if you're out of protest, if you're you know opening up, you're going out with your friends, wear a mask, protect yourself, protect your community.
0: Mask or no mask, food and music lovers are not going to be able to enjoy some of their Favorite summer festivals here in Chicago. Mayor Lightfoot's office has announced basically most of the summer seems to be canceled here in the city. Lollapalooza will not happen, the air and water show, Taste of Chicago Jazz Fest, all of those are canceled. Greg Hines, columnist for Crane's Chicago Business, joined us on the WBBM Noon Business Hour to talk about the economic impact of the city losing these marquee summer events. Uh, Greg, these are significant revenue generators for the city and attract a lot of tourists. Yeah, they are. Uh, uh, it's tough. Uh,
3: you don't want to be in the hotel business in Chicago right now. Uh, the summer is pretty much a waste, and now it's uh, the spring is already gone, and now it's stretching into the fall. Uh, uh, of these announcements today that uh, Lala, which filled tens of thousands of hotel rooms, is not going to be held, uh, came on the heels of the cancellation of the biggest uh, convention of the year yesterday at McCormick Place, which isn't Tens of thousands of more hotel rooms. Um, you know, I understand the reasons for it. Uh, the debate over whether we're reopening fast enough or not is continuing, but uh, there's no question that it is harmful to uh, uh, the tourism industry the leisure industry the hospitality industry the people who depend on it to make a living
0: yeah it's really an experiment i'm actually talking with people who are vacationing in some of these other areas of the country where theme parks are back open and it's going to be interesting to see over the next several weeks whose plan for reopening actually turned out to be the best one
3: yeah it is i mean i understand why i mean Lala in particular uh is the kind of event that if you wanted to really get people pack people together and say this is what you don't want to do It would probably be the poster child because you have thousands of sweaty bodies all bumping up against each other, in a very confined space. But uh, uh, to some degree, I I ask the same question that you do. Can't we move things along a little bit? Like uh, uh, I'm in my office. I'm looking out the window at Millennium Park, uh, which is completely closed. Uh, You know, uh, people don't have to gather in large groups. They can walk around. Other parks are open, but not this one. So it's a... uh, It's a work in progress. We'll get there eventually, but there's a lot of pain in the process.
0: You mentioned all the hotel rooms that are not going to be filled. That's a lot of money that's not coming to the city because there's significant hotel taxes on each of those rooms.
3: Yeah, the agency that's worth watching is uh, it doesn't go to the city itself as much as it goes to, uh, to the Metropolitan Parent Exposition Authority, McPier, as we call it in the trade, which runs McCormick Place. Uh, uh, they're going to have – they have some reserves, uh, but uh, they don't have conventions coming in. They don't have hotel taxes uh, uh, they can count on, uh, that, uh, but yet they have a lot of debt they have to pay off. That's going to cause them some problems. I wouldn't want to be their CFO right now.
0: Things are challenging not only for current leaders, but also the future leaders in our country. Teens often work in the summer, gaining valuable experience that helps them later on when they want to get a job. Rick Cobb is here. He is with Challenger Gray and Christmas here in Chicago. Rick, it's a challenging time for a teen if they're looking to get a job. There's a lot of things working against them. You have the pandemic, so there are fewer jobs. Experienced workers competing for those jobs in a time of high unemployment. Uh, Also, rising wages as many cities and states adopt the higher minimum wage.
1: Exactly. They do. And what's interesting is over the decades, this number has trended down from a height in the 50s of over 3 million summer uh, uh, teens employed during the summer. And it's drifted downward continuously. Last year, 2019, though, we got closer to 2 million again. We were at uh, 1.7 million by the end of the summer.
0: So you have uh, them, you know, unable to find jobs because they're, in a season like this, fewer jobs and also greater competition. And a, a lot of places are raising the minimum wage, you know, thereby making it more, I guess, attractive to hire people with a little bit of seasoning.
1: Yeah, and it's, I think it's problematic in, a, in other ways, too. The, the, the jobs that are available, you know, those are customer-facing. Those are large populations that you're interacting with. Typically, uh, because it's summer jobs, seasonal jobs are at restaurants, at uh, recreation areas, camps, parks, et cetera. Those are the traditional jobs that the the summer team would go after. So there's reluctance on the part of the of the team themselves to put themselves in uh, in those situations, and and by that also expose their parents, grandparents to it, and for their families to do that. The pressure on the other side, though, is. As uh, one of uh, a few children whose maybe perhaps both parents are either unemployed or on furlough, there's a strong pressure to want to go out and 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 make a contribution in some fashion. So, it's a it's a really tricky time right now for teens
0: and important for them because they're trying to build a resume, right? Whether it's to get into college or to get that first significant job after college,
1: absolutely. And I think. What, what I've experienced personally and what has always worked best, particularly when the economy is challenged, is the more aggressively networked you can become or be, the better off you are. There are people out there last year who had a tremendously positive experience with uh, a summer hire, whether it was an intern or somebody that, that they hired to do some work in their store. You know, that, that person is the maven. That's the reference for a teen to go to and say, hey, you worked with so-and-so. Could, could you introduce me to or could you help me uh, get a phone conversation with that person? That's really the way you're going to find work because the job postings are always uh, probably, I mean, the, from a probability standpoint, the least likely, and even more so now because the competition numbers are furious.
0: Rick talked about how restaurants are often a source of jobs for young people. Let's talk about restaurants now. They are reopening here in Chicago and around the state of Illinois. They're looking very, very different, though. Todd Franz is here, food safety manager at UL, a global safety organization based in Los Angeles, Todd, talk about some of the differences that customers are going to notice.
5: You know, they're going to look at things that are very differently about how you open the doors, right? Seating is going to be different. We've got space in between the seating. Chicago and Illinois is looking at keeping outdoor dining open before the next phase of allowing indoor dining even. Um, and Besides table spacing, your servers are going to be wearing masks. You'll see signage as you enter the restaurants to remind you not to enter. There's things happening even behind the scenes that you don't see as a guest, right? There's disinfection that happens after hours. They're looking at even vendors that come in and having health screenings for the vendors that are delivering the food, as well as health screenings for the employees when they first show up to work even.
0: How important is something like going cashless, only taking cards? Yeah, non-contact seems to be a
5: very important um, element of preventing COVID spread. And that's not just at restaurants. That's going to be across the board. But certainly at restaurants where we're so accustomed to that check being delivered to the table, um, if that still has to happen, you're even going to see things like uh, restaurants going to disinfecting the pens that they use before they do that. But cashless is definitely the direction to move.
0: And I'm guessing someone going through the place, uh, disinfecting door handles, making sure that every table gets disinfected after every customer.
5: Yeah, think about things that, that everybody touches—the high touch points that are normally there, like you know, front door, uh, cash registers, pin pads, uh, menus that are reused, or condiments. You can expect to see things like reusable or disposable, actually, condiment packets now, or maybe maybe the ketchup's going to be brought out to you in a little ramekin jar instead of having the ketchup bottle sitting on the table.
0: Are buffets a thing of the past? I mean, are those ever going to come back? I'm thinking you have all these people coming in and touching those <laughs> utensils.
5: Hey, you know, the restaurant industry is nothing if it's not innovative. They will find a way to bring the buffet back. But for the time being and for the foreseeable future, uh, they are a thing of of the past. So they'll come back in a different form at some point.
0: Well, we will hope for that. Uh, Let's uh, also talk about hostesses, uh, waiters, waitresses, because restaurant owners, they not only want to keep customers safe, they want to keep their employees safe.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely. That staff, like I said, they're going to be... doing health screenings before they check in. Midday, they will be keeping their distance from guests in a different way. Um, you're going to see maybe one party seated at a time. You won't see parties waiting and congregating in a lobby area anymore, waiting to be seated. Uh, that line typically is going to take place outdoors. So um, hand-washing, and, you know, don't forget, the food industry, it's old hat for us, hand-washing and, you know, sneezing into your elbows and, and prevention of, uh, you know, contamination. Some of these things, actually, the food industry has a little bit of a leg up on the rest of retail and being used to doing that kind of stuff.
0: Being prepared, being used to it certainly does help you bounce back. That may be why there have been challenges in the travel industry. Let's pivot to that here. You have cruise lines, hotels, airlines all getting hit by the pandemic. Some of them are starting to reopen, but they're still struggling. One of the areas of the travel economy that has actually been doing pretty well is the vacation rental business. And that's because a lot of people are working remotely and they're able to go away for a month or two or more. Angie Rice is co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, Arizona. She joined us for the Travel Tuesday segment on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Angie, tell us about this trend, people wanting to go away longer.
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's certainly less people looking to travel by air. So if you're traveling by road, Um, you know, certainly that may require, um, an overnight here and there. But aside from that, people are looking to stay in remote areas where they can either stay at a casita or stay in a cabin-like, um, accommodation where really the activities are very, very close to where they're staying. Um, they're able to um, really make it a home base and um, enjoy all the activities and the scenery straight from the property where they, they are renting. Um, I think last couple of months we've all been really cooped up, and that's really with summer camps. I think that's a big factor, um, kids not having access to summer camps and many um, workers being able to work virtually. They're looking at opportunities where they can extend their travels for two, three weeks and, and even for the entire summer.
0: Yeah, the virtual work, the fact that people can work just via the Internet, it allows them to go wherever they want to go. Mom and or dad can work a little bit during the day, and then they can go out with the kids and have fun in the afternoon and evening.
2: Absolutely. Um, We're seeing trends in uh, spots like Wyoming, where you have access to the first national park, um, Yellowstone, and it's Grand Teton is very close by. We're also seeing trends where people are looking for long-term rentals and in colorado as well as northern arizona a lot of people don't realize it's you know 85 degrees here in arizona today which is very pleasant sometimes we're up to 115 this time of year but it's 30 degrees cooler up in flagstaff and places like you know Sholo. so um you can really get uh, uh, a nice difference in terrain with just a couple hours drive
0: this must be better for the people who are doing the rentals the landlords because if you don't have as much turnover it, it seems like there's just more money in it not as many cleaning fees and all that sort of stuff
2: Right. I think it's a win-win situation for the renters as well. And, and we've worked with a lot of property managers and homeowners that are, um, you know, obviously with second homes that they rent out. And, and they're certainly look, you know, they see this as a favorable when they, uh, situation when they can rent out their, um, accommodations for an entire month versus week to week. Cause you're right. You know, people are expecting, you know, the cleaning to be, you know, um, Obviously, at its highest, and and we've even had some owners who have separate, or some renters who have separately hired their own cleaning to come in, just to make sure that, um, you know, it's been sanitized, or they're doing that sanitation themselves. But, um, it, it definitely allows for social distancing, and and you're really able to kind of take the the March and, and April where we were all homebound, and really just. Uh, Stay at home, but in in, in in a new scenery and where there's activities and, and hopefully favorable weather.
0: Vacation rentals are doing well in this economy. Uh, another travel segment that's doing well is the RV, the mobile home, the camper. A lot of people not wanting to get on an airplane and they don't need to go far away from home, so they're enjoying an RV. Let's talk to Daryl Searer, president of the RV MH Hall of Fame and Museum in Elkhart, Indiana. Daryl, a pandemic, not exactly the way you want people to fall in love with RVs again, but it is happening. It's sort of getting back old school.
6: Uh, that is so true. And thank you for having me on. Uh, you know, when you've been uh, cooped up for the last 10 or 12 weeks, and uh, now things people are starting to move around and you want to do a little vacationing, uh, and you still want to do social distancing. Uh, an RV is an ideal thing because you've got your own bed, you've got your own food, you're on your own schedule, uh, and you're and you're, you're your own boss as well. So it's it's a pretty phenomenal way to spend some time.
0: It's about the best way to truly plan your own vacation because you can go, I mean, as long as it's a place where an RV can go, you can go there.
6: Yeah, and I, I would certainly suggest that uh, people in Chicagoland might want to come down to the r v m h Hall of Fame and Museum. It's one of a kind anywhere in the world, and it's not too far to go. And uh, it's uh, it's it's a wild museum.
0: Yeah, I, I have uh, I see now. I'm I'm feeling a little guilty because I've driven by it so many times and have never stopped. Now I'm going to have to stop by and see it, Daryl, because it sounds like a pretty good place.
6: Uh, it it really is. It starts way back in 1913 and comes up to the present time, and and uh, it, it's. It's just amazing, uh, and we get excellent reviews um, online, and and so uh, it's it's just a great place to visit.
0: So what for for people who just say right off the bat, nope, RVs are out of my price range. I can't do it. I mean, they're they're thinking the luxury RVs. Are there models uh, different manufacturers produce that that regular folks can afford? Uh,
6: yeah, that's for sure. In fact, a local dealer advertises that people see these big things going down the road, and oh, gee, I couldn't afford that. And he says we have units that start around a hundred dollars a month, and uh, I know new units you can get in the two two fifty a month range. So, uh, I th- and it can be pulled with the uh, local uh, family uh, SUV.
0: Yeah, and that way you just bring your own vehicle along, too. Uh, what are dealers telling right. you? They, they're getting a lot of business, a lot of people stopping by and calling?
6: Well, I have four dealers on my board of directors, uh, one in Wisconsin, one in Missouri, another one in, uh, in Colorado, and the last one in uh, Arizona. They've all been in business for 50 years or more, and they just finished the best May in their
0: history. And that may continue because an RV is one of the only ways for people to really travel these days if they want to take a vacation. Thank you, Daryl Searer, president of the RVMH Hall of Fame and Museum in Elkhart, Indiana. Join us next week for another edition of the WBBM In-Depth Podcast, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. Be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Coda. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours